coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. Well, hello. Welcome to peacepodcast.org. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller. You know, it is a fascinating life we live today. You know, I really want to make sure our children are happy. If I have one dream, it's that happy children produce happy families. I just believe that they bring you so much joy. I'm just saying goodbye today to my grandchildren who visited. And I said, oh my gosh, the joy I had was having them here for a week. It was just like it spread throughout the whole neighborhood. And today we're going to focus Peace Podcast again on health, happiness, and mutually assured survival. And our guest today is Julie Johnston, and she created Mutually Assured Survival from the passion she has for making sure our climate is going to support us for the rest of our lives and the lives of our children. Julie Johnston is a very special woman. I tell you, I've known her for a few months now as we work together in a small group of four people. Remember what uh, Margaret Mead said, never underestimate what a group of small group of people can do to change the world. And so we're doing that today. And you're looking at Julie with me. I didn't want to put her on, put her off. I wanted to have her on with me. And then I will go to her as our speaker. You're listening to me because you want to find out what can we do to help our children? How can we make our children happy in a world that isn't as secure as it was maybe when we were little kids? So Julie Johnson is a retired teacher, yet she's not acting very retired. She's a teacher trainer and adult educator for 10 years. She served as resource teacher for the Spring Leaves Family Learning Program. Think Spring Leaves Family Learning Program, a 21st century experiment in homeschool-based education on Ponder Island, British Columbia. Through Greenheart Education, that's www.greenhearted.org, She works with educators around the world in Canada, Malaysia, Philippines, just to name a few. So who do we want to green the heart of their classrooms? Who do we want to do that? We want you to help us do that. We want your teachers, your administrators from the schools and those homeschooled children, parents and teachers too. All of you can do, help us create the earth and the future our children need. The species depend on us every species. And today a little bug crossed my desk and I had to kill it and I didn't want to because I knew he might be eating something that is necessary, but I didn't want him to run around while I'm doing a podcast. But it's the passion that I share with Julie. She has a passion that her husband, you may have heard him, Peter Carter last week. We had Dr. Peter Carter on, Climate Emergency Institute, the founder and director. You know, this is a time for us to pay attention. Our awareness has to be on super high. It has to bring us into the future, and it's not going to happen if we don't all get on board. All right, Julie. Welcome, Julie Johnston. Thank you, Barbara. Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Now, I'm going to start with three questions, but let's start with number one. Your work with educators around the world is transforming and urgently transforming the educational system in order to safeguard the future for children of all species. Now, why is this so urgent right now? Ah, wow. Okay. So here's the problem. Most people in our society, and therefore most teachers as well, still don't realize that 
despite everything else going on in the world, good and bad, right? The main focus right now needs to be the climate emergency. And that's because climate disruption and climate chaos are threatening the very survival of our species and most other life on this precious planet. Like our planet is pretty darn special. So global warming is like a lit fuse burning towards a continually growing bomb. Like it's more dire than the threat of nuclear war only, I would say, because nuclear war is still just a potential until someone actually presses the button. So fingers crossed, right? And prayers right now. But our collective finger has been on the global warming, uh, global warming button for decades and things are still getting worse. So we're actually foreclosing on the future of life on earth. Um, and the odds are definitely stacking up against us. So if, if we don't make transformative change like yesterday, 10 years ago, you know, so therefore tomorrow, right? This afternoon, this evening, um, we are, we're looking at extinction of most species on the planet and that includes the human species. So this is dire and we're not treating it with the urgency that it deserves. And so it has to come into our schools, not in a way that freaks out the kids. You know, um, I don't believe in that. I believe that children deserve a childhood, especially young children deserve a childhood. And the older kids who are old enough to, you know, to sense or to even know, to have studied what's going on in the world, um, what they deserve is to know that there are lots of adults in the world working to ensure them a livable future. So teachers have to be part of this. Educators at all levels have to become part of this, you know, gift of a future for our kids. Well, I've been on your website, greenhearted.org, and you know, I couldn't leave it. It was just so inviting. And the pictures you have of the little girl with the green angel wings and all of the fabulous uh, topics that you have on the left side help us understand how we can do what your goal is. How we, yeah, teachers yeah. of our youngest ones. Yeah. Okay. So, so what I've created there at greenhearted.org is um, it's like a model for how to green the heart of education. So, the, the first thing, like sort of looking at it, you know, at a, at a global level is we have to green um, the, 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 the building, like the where are our students learning? Where are they spending, you know, so many days of their lives? How green is that space? And I don't just mean environmentally friendly. I mean, are there plants in our classrooms? You know, are there nature posters and murals? Are there, are there um, you know, does it feel more like home? than prison, right? Mm -hmm. Like kids should be coming to a place that feels good, that feels like home, happy home, a happy home. So that's the physical, the, the, the you know, physical part of it, the facilities. And then there's also the curriculum. Well, let me come back to curriculum. So there's also the, um, the behaviors. So those are the unspoken things. Like, are we still handing out gobs and gobs of paper to kids, you know, when we know that paper, it means cutting down trees at a time when trees mean life, right? Deforestation is a huge contributor to global warming. Um, not to mention that I live in British Columbia where last fall we had the atmospheric rivers and mudslides that actually killed people here. And they, they, they've discovered that many of them were near uh, clear cuts, 
So we're discovering trees and forests are more important than we ever knew. Um, so, um, you know, are we making sure that the schools are not using pesticides in the schoolyards? Are we making sure that we're using environmentally friendly um, soaps and things like that in the washrooms, you know, and, and uh, toilet paper that is from re recycled paper? So those are the, um, the, the kind of unspoken things, but the curriculum is perhaps the most important because right now our school curricula here in um, North America, and I'll only speak for North America at, the, at this time, we are teaching so that kids will become cogs in our economy and it's an economy that is killing off the future. So what about if our curriculum was actually in service to life itself instead of the economy, instead of ensuring that children have, you know, jobs when they graduate, what about ensuring children have a future when they graduate, right? And a healthy future, a safe future, a beautiful future. So, so what that means, I, I've created um, a, a green school, like a curriculum map, and there are different um, developmental levels that go with the different ages and grades of students, right, within our schools. And you know that because you're an educator. So the little kids, you know, preschool to, I would say approximately nine years old. So in Canada, that's grade three for us, third grade, third grade in the States. So um, bonding, bonding with the natural world, with the rest of nature, connecting, you know, and, and this doesn't mean that, uh, uh, teachers have to stop doing what they're doing. It means they just have to change what they're doing. So let's make sure that in mathematics, if you're coming up with little problems that the kids need to do in class, you know, do, use ladybugs instead of cars, for example. You know, it can be as simple as that. But it also means walkabout Wednesdays. So every Wednesday, all year long, you know, throughout the whole school year, take your, your class outside for a walk around the school, right? and help them to observe, help them to see, help them look up. I mean, so many kids are not sky aware anymore, but even in the city, you can see the sky and, and you should, students should learn. They should understand like, where does the sun, what does the sun do in the sky? Why are there shadows sometimes and not shadows at other times, but also get the kids to look down right at their feet. The world is around their feet, right? And they could get up close and personal and they can start to use little magnifying glasses and uh, there's so much that the, the young people to see out there isn't yes, there. Yes, there you is. Know, there um, is. I was, a, as you said, I was an educator and loved every minute of it. I taught the poorest of the poor because I loved them so much, and I knew there was so much hope if we, if I just was there. And I taught. They were children of migrant farmers in Santa Barbara. We had this wonderful school, and I chose to teach there. And I remember I was a podcast pod teacher, so we had a partner. And his name was Yoshida. And Mr. Yoshida would have a garden every year. Do you know these kids who hadn't seen a, a piece of anything growing mm -hmm. would give up recess to work in the garden? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's like a magnet. If you have a garden, it's a magnet. Like I yeah. had my garden. I was talking to Julie about my garden prior to our conversation today because my sunflowers are giant right now. My my pears, pears, pears growing on a tree. I mean, how many people have pears growing on a tree? Now, my apples are not exciting. They only have two, but my pears are loaded in my apricots and my plums. 
but I live for the moment when I wake up in the morning and go see how are my zucchini doing and I have this other thing I live I have a home in Goleta where my son now occupies and every year I would just wait for the symphony of the bees because I would plant loquat trees because I knew they would have abundances abundant number of blossoms and the bees would all find my loquat trees and I'd stand underneath and say thank you for the harmony and the music you create with your wings as you are moving through mm -hmm. the blossoms and yesterday I was going to my sunflowers and this hummingbird came and I had this practice with these long little orange blossoms and this hummingbird was just humming around and I thought the symphony of the hummingbird. And that's what you see in your walk around Wednesday, don't you? That's right. That's nature. Right. Yep, yep. You know, I had a friend who used to live in LA, down, you know, LA. And he once found a bee asleep in a flower. Oh. And I thought, that's the kind of observation skills I think that we could be teaching our students. Because if they if they can observe the little things like that in life, then, then you know, around their schoolyard and in their yard at home or on the path, you know, on their way home from school, then think of the things they'll be able to see when they're older. They'll start to understand changes and whether changes are good or bad. You know, anyway, that's, yeah, that's the little kids. That's it. And, and my grandchildren would always come home from visiting grandma and have dirty shoes, dirty hands, dirty <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We were in the garden and that's, that's right. the way it was. Oh, and if you think you have a child in your class who has ADHD, you take them out to the garden. They no longer have ADHD. They are now gardeners. They are. They are they, they've been some of my best gardeners. It's just, it's, it's incredible what four square and walls we try to mold them do to a child. Yeah. We mold them to sit in a chair. Yuck. How yeah. could it be? Anyway, my classroom wasn't the normal classroom either. And uh, yeah. I remember the kids all just could hardly, I would have to come to work at seven because they all wanted to come in mm -hmm. and I would let them. And right on. that was, That's that was their safe place. And then yes. I would do something so simple, like hold up a can of beans and say, where did these beans come from? And then yeah. we flow chart the progress from the little seed. Yeah. And then we plant bean seeds and we measured, that was our math was measuring the bean seeds, how fast they grew. That's and bean right. seeds are wonderful. You just put contact paper in a jar with water and beans <laughs> around the outside and all of a sudden you have beans. Yeah, yeah that's right. It, it's so simple to do these yeah. things. Jim. Yes, yes. And you don't, I mean, I'm not saying that everything you do, you have to rethink. Just rethink what the purpose is of what you're doing, you know? So, so you know, once, once kids hit grade four or fourth grade, then, you know, they become more curious about the wider world. So that's the age where they really want to learn how the world works. You know, that's where they could be learning ecological principles. And then they hit about the age of 12. And they become so social. They want to be with their friends. Well, they have so much energy at that age. So why at that age, why don't we get them to focus on solutions, right? Environmental solutions, sustainability solutions. They're fabulous at it. And then before they graduate. So, you know, those last two or three years of secondary school, what I want to see kids do is learn the most important principles and processes of sustainable development. And I want them to learn permaculture principles. And I want them to learn principles of regenerative agriculture. And I want them to go out into the world using those principles, even if they don't become farmers. I want them to use them in whatever careers they choose. 
right? So that they could be a lawyer, but it's a lawyer who's making sustainable decisions, right? They could be doctors, but doctors who are making sustainable decisions. Um, imagine bankers, you know, students who graduate and become bankers and they only make sustainable solutions. I mean, we're talking about contributing, every student contributing to mutually assured survival at that point. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She just gave you a thumbnail sketch of how curriculum could change. And it's a very simple way to do it. It's not talking about changing everything under the sun. It's only talking about moderate changes that allow a person to have an ego that's involved in all the world, an ecosystem for want of a better word. And you know, you talk a lot about climate. I know I just did Dr. Peter Carter, your husband, and he was so was concerned about our climate situation. Yeah. And how does this relate to the climate situation in our future? And I know you're passionate about climate change and trying yeah. to save us. Yeah, so climate Climate change, global warming causes climate change. Climate change ca causes disruption and chaos, you know? And so to me, the most important thing um, that we need to know isn't sea level rise and things like that. That's gonna impact people, but down the road, what's impacting people right now, um, besides these nasty heat waves and other extreme weather events that are killing people already, but it's uh, the threats to our food and water security. And so I really believe that every school, absolutely every school needs a school garden. Doesn't matter what size it is, could be like just the, the, the window boxes, you know, but kids need to be learning how to grow their own food. They need to learn how to collect and purify their own water. They need to learn how to build soil. So composting right, and doing it carefully so that it, you know, it doesn't attract the vermin and things like that. It can be done carefully. And, um, learning about renewable energy technology. So, you know, creating those or working on those, learning about those at small scale at schools, like most schools have a roof still, right? I mean, unless you're in a forest school or a nature school, your school has a roof. So if there's sun on your roof, you can be learning about solar energy. Uh -huh. like that. Uh -huh. um, the older kids, of course, we've seen them, you know, they know like Greta's age, right? Greta Thunberg's age, they know and they're out uh, striking for the future, their future. This is their future. Eco grief, climate grief is becoming a very real thing. And that's one of the beauties of school gardening is that um, it's almost like you can't be sad and depressed in a garden. You know, first of all, they've discovered there's a bacteria in soil that actually makes people happy, which no, explains why, you know, no, it's, it's fabulous, but it explains why gardening is number one hobby in North America. Right? Well, that's the reason I'm so happy when I go out there and stick my fingers in and look yes. at my zucchini and pick them. That's you know, right. I didn't realize that there was science that proved there was a yeah. reason why I love yeah. the garden. Yes. All my life, I've grown up with gardens, my grand, my parents, my grandparents, but we're from Hungary. And if you didn't have a garden, you didn't eat vegetables, you know, you had yeah. to grow yeah. your own. And so yeah. doing that too, because I, I just think it's so good for the soil and so good for the neighborhood too. Yeah. And the soul, right. Yeah. Good for the soil. Good for the soul. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. good for the soul. Um, people say, how can you be so happy? And I say, well, I just was out in the garden and you know, that's it. That's my safe place. It's quiet. It's yeah. where it's I need rejuvenating. It's rejuvenating oh. so that you can come back to face, you know, issues around war and peace issues around climate safety, right? Things like that. Like they're hard to face if you don't have a safe place and a, 
a way to replenish or rejuvenate and reduce yourself. Doesn't it? Yes, it makes a big difference. You're listening to Julie Johnston and her advice is just so practical and so doable. And I was thinking about composting and the only thing that I don't compost is meat and bones. And the reason I don't do that is because it does bring in the varmints. But yeah. if you don't put meat and bones in your composter, even a composter can be as simple as a trash can, cut out the bottom and just start you know, using what you put in there. Every banana peel, every uh, um, watermelon peeling. Apple core, yeah, yeah. Everything. Yes, that's right everything goes into the composter you should see and then when I take the soil that I've created with the worms that have gone into the compost into the garden and I mix it with the old dirt that's dirt not soil but I mix it together all of a sudden my plants are blooming and they're happy so there's something about regenerating the microbes in the soil from your composting. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if if our children and our students learn this at the micro level, you know, at the home level, the school level, then they're going to understand better how it works at the global level. You know, so, so many of things that we're doing right now, like the burning of fossil fuels is literally killing us. So 10 million plus people every year die of respiratory problems because of the air pollution caused by burning fossil fuels. So that's before we talk about climate change, right? Because the carbon dioxide released by the burning of fossil fuels is changing the climate. And um, I don't know if you have any deniers on, you know, they can deny all they want. They can't change the laws of physics, unfortunately. I wish they could. Um, But Um, If children can learn at the micro level how life replenishes, then they're going to understand what we need to do at the the global level to replenish so that we can um, we can maintain, you know, the life force of this precious, beautiful planet that we live on. Yeah. Now, there is something I want to share with you. Uh, We probably have to go soon, but there's something I want to share because it brings in your interest in peace and and. uh, education and the green greening the heart of nature okay and it's this um in our language and i'm just going to speak about english i don't want to talk about other languages but you know sometimes teachers say to me well what what can i do to start greening my classroom right away and what i say is start using nature-friendly language and metaphors so we you know, not very many of us examine the language that we use the metaphors that we use But in English, many of our metaphors are violent, militaristic, and anti-nature. Let's fight for that. Yeah. So one example, and and I like to give this example to people, is killing two birds with one stone. Right. It's like, it's so violent. Why would you want to kill two birds? Why? Okay, I have to say I'm I'm vegan. Okay, so I'll just put that out there. Because I don't want to kill two birds. I don't want to kill one bird. But what about feeding two birds from one hand? Or as a friend of mine once said, feeding two birds with one scone. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, just he's sort of teasing me, but it makes the point. Just to think about our language and to make it less competitive, mm. right? Make it less warlike, uh, less militaristic. Anyway, there's a there's um a webpage on my website about that. About language. And, yeah about language yes and um under integration which you'll see in the menu on the left there's um and it 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 keeps growing right i keep adding pages but i've got 
I've got um, several pages there now for different subject areas and how we can green history, how we can green chemistry, yeah. how we can yes. green English language arts and green French. I haven't done Spanish, but I've done French, uh, things like that. So that, that can be fun. And it doesn't have to be every day, every moment, but just to be thinking is what I'm teaching in service to the earth and the future for all the species, you know, all the children of all species, or, or am I doing it just because I'm being told to do it? And really it's, if I'm teaching with not, without deliberately and purposely teaching for sustainability, teaching for the future, then we are by default teaching for unsustainability. You know, I always ask my guests on peacepodcast.org, which you are listening to today, and I'm Barbara Gonmuller, your host, and I always ask them for their dream. She just gave it to you, didn't she? If we could green our language and ask, is this going to be something that our future can be living through and with and because of me, then that's the language I want to use. Watching how we speak, watching what we grow, or even having that walk around day or evening, maybe before you have dinner, you walk around the garden or you walk around your neighborhood. And you, you amazing, you know, I, I go back to early TV. We were more real in the early TV because, you know, they were families and people getting together and sitting together. And today it's a whole different story, but you just heard Julie Johnson, a greenhearted.org, an amazing, educator, teacher of teachers, and one who really believes that we can make a difference by what we say, do, and plant, as I'm going to put that out there. Um, yesterday, I was listening to a friend of mine, and she was talking about her tree. She had this tree with hundreds of leaves, thousands of leaves, and she went out, and she thanked the leaves for growing, and what do leaves do for us, Julie? Oh, they give us our oxygen. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, yeah. You, yeah, we wouldn't be here without without green plants. If we didn't have the green, I have green plants behind me. Every room in my house is filled with plants. I see you have the plant behind you. These are, I have a plant and you, that looks like it's part of one. Um, they clean the oxygen in your house. And so I have every room has living plants. That's just my style. I And, and I like the, the feeling. I put a, a oxygen cleaning plant in my bathroom, in the back bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I walk in there and it's fresh, fresh yeah. and the leaves are giant and it's fresh. Yeah. So they, why not do that to our classrooms? Right. right? Keep them fresh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have little window boxes and hanging plants in the windows. And, and have mean, the children be in charge of watering. Exactly. Measuring every Monday how much water they put in. Math was so wonderful in my classroom because we would measure how much water we put in and when it was dry and how... The atmosphere changed when it was a hot day. We had to put more water on things. Anyway, you know, it's a really wonderful combination of love, uh, nature, and a future if we do it with awareness and green-heartedness, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, green-heartedness. I like it. Let's have green-heartedness for our mutually assured survival. And you're looking at Julie Johnson, who one of our little meetings of four people um, from all different walks of life said, we should be working on mutually assured survival. This has gone viral. Let me tell you, people have, I'm, I'm president of the Rotary uh, Action Group for Peace. And I keep talking about mutually assured survival and they're all repeating it. It's just, if we can be sure that we're going to survive. And Julie, I thank you with all my heart for coming up with that very simple degree of survival. 
And we have a website, mutuallyassuredsurvival.world. Please join us there. And greenhearted.org is also Julie's website. And I'm Barbara Gonmuller. I could keep talking and I could keep interviewing Julie, but I know I promised a 20-minute podcast. And join us. Now, I have some homework for you. I want you to invite your students or your teach friends or your school administrator friends or your elected officials to watch this podcast. Everybody has to be green hearted today. And with that, I thank you. Go to peacepodcast.org and join us again. And today I thank you, Julie, you were fabulous. Thank you, Barbara, take care. You too, and you take care of our earth and you take care of those kids. Every student deserves to have a life that's fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. This is Barbara saying thank you. See you next week. Thank you.